You may be seated. In a few moments, we're going to be meditating on that passage from Isaiah chapter 11, but I think it's only right that before we do, we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, you are indeed our Prince of Peace. And in the midst of a divided world, we ask that you would use this time this morning to teach us what true peace looks like. That you would remind us of our calling as peacemakers in the world, as Advent people who live between your first and second coming. And so open our hearts and our minds to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So throughout this series, one of the things we're doing is each week we're kind of looking at uh, an object pretty mundane object, something that maybe you would find around your house. And we're looking at these objects because even though they might be mundane, everyday things, they have a way of reminding us of who our God is. Last week, the object was a ruler to remind us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we actually decorated our messy Christmas tree with a couple of rulers. We put them up here as a reminder to us that our God does not change, that he remains constant even when the rest of the world seems to be shifting constantly. And each week we're going to add something to this tree. We'd actually invite you maybe to add these, thing, these objects to your trees at home. And, and this week I want to talk about another object from my childhood, and that is glue. Okay, when I got to elementary school, glue was like a magical thing. Because with glue, you could like fix anything. You could, you could connect anything together. You could make crafts and projects. You could glue together what was torn or ripped apart. You could, you could glue together popsicle sticks and make different objects and stuff like that. And when you were really hungry, you could eat this stuff. Maybe not. Uh, didn't stop some of my classmates from trying, though, right? And as I got older, though, I discovered that there wasn't just, like, basic Elmer's glue. There's all kinds of glue. Like, did you know that there's, there's, like, wood glue? I mean, wood glue is incredible because, like, you break, like, a piece of furniture in your house, you can glue that piece of furniture back together again, as my youngest daughter learned with her bed this past week. Don't jump on the bed. And I won't have to use the wood glue. And as I got older, I found out that there's other kinds of glue. There's, there's crazy glue, you know, super glue. This kind of glue is so incredible, you can glue yourself back together with this stuff, right? Glue is pretty amazing. So I kind of want to stick glue on our tree uh, this morning because we're going to be talking about what it takes to actually mend things that are broken. Because while glue does a great job of putting together some of those objects that I just mentioned, it's not so great when it comes to healing other things that are broken in our world. I mean, consider the racial tensions and divisions. What can possibly mend those things? Or consider the political divisions that we find in this country between red states and blue states, between Democrats and Republicans, because apparently those are the only two options, at least if you're looking at the news. Or consider the toll that this pandemic has taken on our economy, on people's jobs, the fact that there are those who are unemployed. Or consider the toll that's taken on people's health, those who've been impacted by this terrible disease, those who've lost loved ones. What can possibly heal those things? And as we come into the Christmas season, 
especially a Christmas season in a year like 2020, we're wondering what can possibly bring healing when so much seems broken. See, oftentimes our our knee-jerk reaction, our instinct as people is to say, well, I think I know what it takes. I think I know it could solve these problems. I think I know what's going to be required in order to fix this. And so we, we get to work. We start to kind of proclaim our vision and our plan. And the problem is, though, is that we very quickly adopt a self-righteous attitude that says, I got this. I know what to do. But then it becomes a, very quickly a my way or the highway sort of approach to anybody else who doesn't get on the same page with what we think it needs to be done in order to fix what's wrong. And the problem with that posture is that it really only leads to two places. It either leads to a place of rage or to a place of despair. It leads to a place of rage when other people don't get on to the same page as us. Whatever our page is, whatever our plan might be. So that when we're sitting there and looking at the political divisions and the problems in our country and and we just want to make America great again, if somebody doesn't get on the same page with us, well, then they are losers and snowflakes and their voice doesn't count and it doesn't matter. Or if we think that what we need to do is heal the soul of this nation and people don't jump on that bandwagon, then they are deplorables and racists and they are the problem with our country. Right? This is where we end up. Out of our self-righteousness, we see anybody who disagrees with us as an enemy who either needs to to sit down or needs to be silenced. We take as many measures as we can into our own hands to ensure that our agenda moves forward, often at the expense of our neighbors who might disagree with us. We tackle some of these big problems, problems like poverty. Problems like systemic injustice. Problems like racism. And try as we might to fix them or to address them, we see that very little seems to change year to year, and so we become cynical. We spiral down into despair saying, nothing is ever going to change, so why try? We come to the world with our own agenda only to find that our agenda, like glue, is entirely incapable of, hic- of fixing what seems to be broken. Here's the reason why. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his beautiful book, Life Together, writes this. He says, The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Bonhoeffer says that the reason why We seem to break the world more than we fix it is because our visions come from that broken place within us. But the brokenness isn't just out there. It's in here. It's in our hearts. And as long as we self-righteously operate from that place, we will continue to exacerbate what divides. The rifts will grow deeper. The shattering will remain unmended. The reason why is because none of us has really stopped to ask the question, but what is God's vision 
for healing our world. What does that actually look like? And so this morning, I want us to look at what God's vision for for healing and for peace really is. Because Advent is a beautiful time in which to do that very thing. We love to read passages from places like Isaiah chapter 9. In which it says the following, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We love reading passages like that at Advent because we're just like, yes, that's who Jesus is. That's what he's come to do. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the one who has the solution. But very rarely do we continue reading in the book of Isaiah to ask ourselves the question, but how does he define peace? What kind of peace does he desire to bring? What does that look like in our world? And what does it mean for us who are called by his name to walk in light of that peace. Which is why it's great that we read from Isaiah chapter 11. Because Isaiah chapter 11 actually gives us a snapshot of what that peace is like. I want you to hear it read again. It says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah speaks in these beautifully poetic words about a day when predator and prey will no longer be at odds. When those who are naturally enemies live in harmony with one another. You see, the biblical word for peace is the word shalom. And it is unlike our definitions of peace. Our definitions of peace usually mean an absence of conflict. An absence of fighting and division and bickering. But the biblical word of shalom, peace, means a lot more than that. It means a fullness and a wholeness. It means that everything that is at odds will now be at harmony and in harmony with one another. That former enemies will be reconciled, not just as friends, but as family. And lest we think that these are only poetic words, we need to keep reading. 
Because listen to what he goes on to say. He says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower and Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean, so on and so forth. You see, what's so beautiful about this passage is that these places that the prophet is describing were countries that were bitter enemies of Israel. Syria and Cush and Egypt and Babylonia, these were nations that they waged war against. Not just for decades, for centuries. Battle after battle. Decade after decade of spilled blood. And what the prophet is saying, is saying that vision of lions and lambs laying down together That is a vision for what the nations will be. People who are enemies will be reconciled to one another. Jesus himself will be a banner for all people. The nations will rally to him. This is the kind of peace and wholeness that Jesus brings into the world. He brings a world in which bitter enemies are now made family, now made friends. Because this is the kind of peace that I desire to see is not one in which you are overcome, but one in which you are welcomed in. And what's beautiful is that this vision of shalom is exactly the vision that Jesus himself brings into the world when he comes as Prince of Peace. I love how the author and activist Jamie Arpin Ritchie puts this when he describes what shalom is. He says, shalom is what love looks like in the flesh. The embodiment of love in the context of a broken creation, shalom is a hint at what was, what should be, and what will one day be again. Where sin disintegrates and isolates, shalom brings together and restores. See, oftentimes the reason why our visions fail is because our visions are born from that place of sin, which only disintegrates and isolates us from one another. But Jesus' vision of shalom and peace is one that comes directly from the one who created this world, who sustains this world, and who ultimately came to save this world. God's peace brings together and restores to wholeness. And we need only look at the life of Jesus to see how dedicated he was to that cause. For in Jesus, all the great divisions are mended. The division between the heavenly and the earthly is united in the one who left heaven to come to earth and to be born as one of us. The division between the holy and the unholy is overcome as the Holy One entered into this world and lived in the midst of those who are unholy, those who are imperfect, those who are unclean. The division between the righteous and the sinner was overcome as the righteous one came. And as Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus called together disciples from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political persuasions, different walks of life, and dared to call them not just his students, not just his disciples, but friends. Dared to call them brothers. 
See, Paul writes this about the peace Jesus brings. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by his blood on the cross. Jesus gives us that peace. He makes peace between us and God. He overcomes that division. Not by beating us down, but by welcoming us in. That's the kind of peace that he was willing to live to the very end. That he was willing to go to a cross and die for. And that he ultimately rose again and says, and one day I will come again and I will make all things new. Not just reconciling you to myself, but reconciling everything in all creation. And in the meantime, what he says is he says, we have a mission to now bring that peace wherever we go. I love how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20. He says, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We now have that calling to bring that peace to others. To be his ambassadors. Jesus says that at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he declares, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. That is who we are called to be. Because we have peace, we are now sent to bring peace. And so at Advent, we need to read passages like Isaiah 11. And to ask ourselves the question, is my vision for healing my vision or is it God's? To look carefully at these words and say, do I judge by what my eyes see and my ears hear, or do I judge with righteousness and with justice? Do I care for the needy? Do I pursue the needs of the poor? Do I stand up for the weak? Do I speak out for the voiceless? Do I love my enemies? And do I pray for those who persecute me? Because when we do, we are bringing foretastes of the shalom of God into the world around us. We are walking with Jesus in the work that he began on that first Christmas. We're journeying with him now until he comes again on the day when he will make all things new. But we don't just sit back and watch. As Advent people, we walk. We walk with the one who is himself the Prince of Peace bringing foretastes of peace wherever he has placed us until the day comes when he will return and make all things new. Because in the midst of the mess, God is still at work. In a world of division, he is still bringing peace. And his greatest desire is that we as his people who are called by his name and have received that good news, we be bearers of that peace now until the day that he returns. And so it's with that in mind, I want to close in a word of prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks that in Jesus, you are our peace. You have reconciled us to you, that you call us by your name. And so, Lord, in a world of division, we pray that you would help us to lay down our visions for what the world should be. And rather to be captivated by your vision of shalom. That we would bring that kind of peace and wholeness wherever you send us. That we'd be captivated by visions like those that we see in Isaiah 11 and be about reconciling with those who are different from us. 
be about ministering in ways that heal what's broken, rather than simply advancing our own agenda. And in doing so, Lord, may we bring the world the gift, one of the best Christmas gifts that can be given, a foretaste of your kingdom, which has no end. In your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.